Hello, and welcome to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. Here at the Freedom Challenge, we strive to do good by helping enslaved women and children to do more than you ever thought physically possible and to do it together by connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. We hope you enjoy your time being informed and encouraged with host Tracy Doherty and our amazing guests. So let's get ready and join Tracy for this week's episode. Hey, Freedom Sisters and listeners, I am so glad you joined the Freedom Challenge online podcast today. Woo! May has been rich in content, full of goodness. If you've been listening, you know it's true. Earlier in the month, I had my mom and my daughter on talking about the power of generations coming together. And then we joined the prayer coordinator of Freedom Challenge, Ruth Willett, and the Freedom Sisters on the Trails of the California Regional Challenge. We prayed through the horrors of modern-day slavery while looking up and gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Thank you, Ruth, for that perspective. Ladies, if you have not listened, please do yourself a favor and listen to that prayer podcast. And then finally, we wrapped up the map, the month actually, with Priscillis. She is the founder of Full Collective, and we mused about the beauty of collaboration. What a wonderful woman. Now, this month, we're doing something entirely different. In honor of Father's Day, the whole month, we're bringing on some men to this podcast. And as you know, we are a community of women that come together to advocate for women and children. But this month, we want to recognize and honor the very significant role that men take in our ability to actually do what we do. We need our brothers advocating with us. And whether this is a husband that's releasing his wife to go on a hike or a mission trip, or a father that's encouraging and building up their daughters. There's men who give generously on behalf of the women that they support, or pastors and leaders that encourage women to participate in the Freedom Challenge. In the month of June, in Father's Day, we want to bring on some of these incredible men that have supported and championed Freedom Sisters. And for this episode, I'm really honored to have Gabriel Marcus, called Gabby, all the way from Greece. He is a father and a husband. He is an advocate for women and a champion for those who have not yet found their voice. He has a pastor's heart, and he's a theologian and effective and a humble leader. And in 2019, myself and a very small group of women were hosted by Gabby and his beautiful wife, Evie. And it was just an unforgettable time, actually a life-changing opportunity. And I'm really thrilled for you to meet him today. So welcome, Gabby. Can you share about yourself, your background, and even just your current focus in life and ministry? Thank you, Tracy, for having me. the show. Yeah, my name is Gabby Marcus. Well, Gabby short for Gabriel. Uh, I am from Papua New Guinea. Uh, my wife is from Greece. We met each other in Sri Lanka while working on the post-tsunami relief projects there. And uh, we saw each other. We Our eyes caught each other and then we fall in love. 
Uh, we moved to Greece, got married, and now we have two uh, kids. Angela is 11 and Nathan is 7. And I joined OM uh, back in, in 1997 when I first applied uh, for an OM training. And since then, I've been working with OM in different capacities. Yes. And for those of you who don't know what OM is, Operation Mobilization is a worldwide organization in which Gabby is a part of. And Freedom Challenge actually supports operation mobilization and collaborative projects that have to do with women and children and modern day slavery and the like. So Gabby is an important leader in that place in Greece. And also, Gabby, to your discussion about your beautiful wife, I'm not going to get into the story, but I remember having lunch with you and hearing the extended version of your awesome love story. So ladies, we're going to have an opportunity to go to Greece in 2022. So if you make it to that trip, we're going to make sure that he gets to tell that love story because it's really, really special and um, and an unforgettable bringing together. So I love it. Well, so one of the reasons why I, well, first of all, I I think you're just a remarkable person, Gabby, but I very intentionally in March, we did a focus on International Women's Day. And in that series, we talked about the beauty of womanhood and the high value placed on women in scripture. And it was at that time when we were doing those that I thought, you know what, I want to have you on this podcast to share some of your biblical insights into scripture. And the way, just watching you in that time together, the way that you personally advocate for women and support some pretty powerful leaders you have that you've networked with there um, on the front lines, inspiring. And I distinctly remember our last, maybe our last day or so in Greece with you, you took us to Corinth and that was a really fun experience in and of itself. You watched us bungee jump, Gabby. If we, if we come back, you're on the line for jumping with us. But, um, you know, that was an unforgettable day for us. You orientated us to the culture. You taught us. And um, ladies, some of you who might come in 2022 will have an opportunity to visually see what we're going to discuss today. But you told us about um, Aphrodite and the temple prostitutes in Corinth and Paul's heart to actually see vibrant communities of Jesus followers established in this region. And can you share, um, just start off by sharing about that story. And um, oftentimes Paul is misunderstood for being dismissive of women and without context, you know, those, those assumptions could be easy to make. But truly, as you read about Paul and his ministry, he really was a champion of women, had women in ministry alongside him, and um, appreciated the the feminine nature of God as seen in women. And so, you know, often these passages are misunderstood, and you gave some tremendous insight and context to, to these passages. And I would just love for you to unpack that with us. It was fascinating. Well, yeah. Um, I think Paul, uh, in his heart, is not really to, to disempower women. Uh, but I believe that throughout the New Testament, especially the letters that Paul wrote, 
to the churches, um, you you see women, a lot of women being mentioned, and some of them in, in leadership roles as well. Um, in his heart, is is not is not trying to disempower women, but most often probably it's mis misunderstood, and and I. I wish Paul was here. Uh, I wish he would have actually stated it plainly so that we don't have to be left guessing as to what mm. really meant. Uh, unfortunately, um, some of it we will have to try to um, research into it and try to look at what a lot of people may assume based on the culture, uh, based on the situation that he was addressing. Uh, and so... In, in, in Corinth itself, when Paul was in Corinth, um, Corinth used to be a, a, a city where it's you know prostitution was just rampage. It's 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 a lifestyle there, and prostitutes then had short hair or shaved, and did not wear head coverings because it was customary in that culture for women to wear uh, head coverings or have long hair. Uh, and so failure to to do so would really, readily identify women as a prostitute since mm. situations uh, locally, um, you know, one would define as a prostitute if you have long or short hair or shaved hair. And so Corinth, uh, it was suggested or estimated that there were about 1,000 cult prostitutes in the temple of Aphrodite. And wow. uh, we we drove up to that hill. Uh, it's called Akra Corinth to, uh, today. And right at the top of this hill is the Temple of Aphrodite, where it is believed to accommodate about a thousand temple prostitutes. Now, a thousand to us probably doesn't doesn't seem a lot, but Corinth then is not a mega city like uh, Athens today, where you have six million people. Mm-hmm. Metropolitan city, uh, it connects you know Asia and Europe together. Uh, right now, you bungee jump uh, at the canal. Canal that it was you know the the, the passage of land mm-hmm. was dug out so that ships can actually cross over through this water that was dug out the canal. And so those days there was no canal, so the ships couldn't cross over. But trading was happening because. That little strip of land connected east and west together. Mm. And so a lot of people would come there. And so because prostitution, you know, if you have a city of about either 500,000 or 50,000, 1,000 prostitutes is quite a significant number. Yes. Uh, so, um, and so the women would actually walk down from Accra Corinth, where the temple of uh, Aphrodite was. And they would come down to Corinth and then they would trade. Um, mm. You know, trade would happen over there. And so there is this Greek word called Corinthianastasi, uh, which means I practice prostitution. And mm. Plato uh, himself, he, he, he used the word a Corinthian girl to mean a prostitute. So mm. somehow that... <laughs> The, the 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 town Corinth is somehow associated with prostitution as well, and a lot of the the what they call archaeologists uh, uh, tour guides 
they would actually say this as well. Um, one of the Greek uh, philosopher, uh, he also said, you know, when someone uh, is, is if there's an inquiry as to why girls go into public places without covering their head, uh, but the married women are veiled or have their head covered, he said, because the girls have to find husbands and the married women have to keep those mm. above them. Mm. So the, the married women are there, you know, as a sign of respect and they are already taken mm-hmm. is to cover their heads or allow their hair to grow. But the girls, they said, it's okay because they're going out there to find men and that's fine. They're not married. So um, as we saw earlier, saving of the head was associated with slavery or adulterous or prostitution. And so a wife who covered her head hair in public or is uh, uh, um, who has her head uncovered is, is, is a, a sign of same to the husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so probably some of these women who were prostitutes, possibly they got, uh, heard the message of Paul and got saved. Um, and maybe they found themselves in the situation. And so when Paul was talking, I, I believe that he was talking in the context of the culture of Corinth where it is a culture that women, you have to cover your head or you have to have long hair. Uh, but to have short hair to, to, or to have your head uh, uncovered, uh, it's, it's unacceptable in the culture. Now, the question is, can we take the culture in those days and make a theological argument out of it in order to suppress women or mm. keep women down? Um, I come from a culture that is very male dominated and uh, we try to find areas or avenues that uh, to keep the women oppressed and suppressed. And to certain extent uh, in our culture, we even commodify women because if you have a lot of daughters, then it's great because you can marry them off and, and, you know, with, with good bride price, and it's it, to a certain extent we we make our daughters as commodities. Mm. So to have more daughters, you know, you're gonna some, some you're gonna trade them with pigs and cows, and you put cash value on your daughter as well. But what happens if you marry your daughter to someone who will abuse your daughter? Um, I I just I I cannot really uh, uh, accept that because I have a daughter. And, and sometimes I really worry about her. Hmm. What I think is fascinating about what you're saying here is having been in this area that you're talking about, um, this this temple of Aphrodite was pretty close to all the happenings in this village. And I'm imagining Paul, who's stirring up what it means to be a Jesus follower in this area and establishing a church and evangelizing and all of those things, this convergence of these women coming into faith, these married women, these women that are still looking for a husband and all of that, it seems quite messy, right? So 
as you look at this in context of the, well, George Verwer, the messiology of the kingdom and trying to bring direction and um, order and actually making it a, a safe place for these women coming out of this lifestyle to be able to understand what it would be like to be a Jesus follower, that dynamic and, you know, the power, you know, shifts in it is really quite remarkable to think about. And, you know, even in your own culture, the subtleties of seeing your daughter as a commodity and trading her uh, based on the big, bigger picture of the family, all of those dynamics, they're really rooted in um, maybe lacking value or um, power, power over all of those power structures. It's, it's interesting to see how that really truly has always been. And um, yeah, is there anything else you want to say about that particular area? Because it's, I think it just opens our eyes that when we read the Bible, it's really important to do that deep dive of understanding what was happening in the context of this. Was this cultural or was this a theological mandate for all time? It's it's really important for us to do that. Yeah, I think one thing that um, uh, what they call theologians or preachers were uh, taught uh, in the Bible school is that you need to look at the context uh, and the culture and, you know, who are the people that Paul was writing to? Was he writing to um, a specific group of people or, or is it a, a general description to the church at large? Um, and so I think if we approach this in this context, then uh, for me, Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers Mm-hmm. Um, church in Corinth, and there is a tradition, there is a culture that is there. Uh, was it possible that Paul was speaking in the context of the culture of these people or the situation that they encountered and they faced? And so Paul was writing into this group of people who understand their own lifestyle, who also understand their own culture. And so if we're going to look at it in this context, uh, then, you know, it, it's, it's messy because if, and I'm saying if some of these women uh, who were former prostitutes who got saved uh, and entered the church, um, you know, a lot of these women have to defend themselves from men who mm-hmm. come prey on them or who are the customers. And a lot of these men, no doubt, would abuse these women as well because they want to fulfill their sexual sexual fantasies and sexual desires. Um, And, well, they commodify these women as well. So they think they deserve what they can get out of of these women because of the cash payment that they offer to these women. And so a lot of these women, they had to somehow protect themselves from harassment from their clients and customers. And so um, at the same time, they know that the community looked down on them. And so they need to be tough. They need to be strong. They need to learn to speak for themselves. They need to defend themselves, scream and shout if they are abused. Mm. Um, 
And so when this kind of people uh, in our day and age, if they come into our churches, uh, they don't know what it means to sit down and be polite. And um, I think sometimes we have a kind of Christianity in, in our mind that we expect people to behave when they enter the doors of our church. But uh, when, when we do that, um, we, people, we expect people to behave in order to belong. Mm. We don't see it the other way around, that people have to behave uh, they, they have to be belong and the Holy Spirit of God that caused them to behave. Yes. And that's what George is talking about, is messiology, is that you cannot expect people to behave. No, they have to belong, and it is God who will do an internal surgery in their hearts for them to yeah. behave. So you could see Paul's heart in this writing because really what he was doing is creating a structure where these women didn't feel so exposed. There was this sense of calling people into solidarity as people were coming into faith. And it's an interesting thing I that you brought to, to the table. How many men were even actually in the uh, assembling Christ followers that potentially were former abusers of some of these women? I mean, what a dynamic. And what I see when I read this is Paul's heart for the church, but also for those that were coming out of darkness into the kingdom of light. We do know he respected and partnered with women. And we know that because if you read through all of his writing, there's lists of names of ladies that he was partnering with, ones that he respected. And even in Corinth, he was with a ministry team in which it's well known that the, the the female in that partnership was a strong voice in their ministry together, Priscilla and Aquila. So Absolutely. I think, I mean, even you, do you see it that way? Of course. And even when he came to Philippi, um, you know, there was a lady there. Uh, there was no 10 men for them to have the synagogue, but yet uh, there was a lady there. Um mm. And she probably was one of those uh, who helped founded the church in mm-hmm. Philippa. Yeah, it's fascinating. And um, I, I appreciate you just cracking open that imagery for us too. And I would encourage anyone listening, like, go, go start digging into this. Don't just um, buy into, Paul was a male chauvinist. He didn't really care about women. It's, it's such a sorting kind of thought that really truly is not anchored in who he was as a leader of the kingdom of God and the writer of so much of the New Testament. So it's a good challenge for us. And for you, Gabby, I really appreciate your inclusive heart for this, you know, for the feminine touch in your leadership. You know, you bring direction and insight and collaborate with many ministries that directly impact the value of women in society. I saw many of those places in which um, they have looked to you to be an advocate for them. You're so well received in all of those places. And, and really, I noticed how comfortable you are in your skin to bring who you are, and but yet to push the women forward. And so I would love to hear you do a deeper dive into um, how, you know, how do you see what you do 
in the context of scripture, the things that you put your hands to that have to do with women and children being uh, set up to win in the world? Well, um, I'm a man, I'm a male, um, but I also have uh, one of my previous leadership team. I have two women uh, in a leadership team and uh, I have to learn to listen to them. I have to, um, how would I say, uh, learn to give up my own culture, which is unhealthy and it's not biblical, in order to take on a new biblical culture. And, and that is to, to see women as equal in the ministry. And one thing that I have also uh, I felt convicted about was that my wife left Greece and went to Sri Lanka as a missionary to serve. Mm. We met in Sri Lanka and she was serving. She's, she did an amazing work in Sri Lanka. And after we got married and moved back to Athens in, in Greece, and uh, she said a statement that really got me thinking. She said, my role is to support you and, and so that you can do what God has called you to do. And when I heard that statement, I felt the Lord spoke to me and, and, and he spoke to me through a question. And the question was, what happened to the ministry and the calling that I have upon your wife's life when she left Greece and went to Sri Lanka to serve? Mm. Calling all of a sudden disappear after she married you. Oof. And man, I, I I stopped and I thought and I thought I thought some more and then I I, I felt the Lord spoke to me and said, uh, "You will be accountable in how you you allow your wife to continue the ministry and the calling that got upon her life or." You will be responsible if you prevent her from fulfilling this ministry and the calling. And that wow. helped me really change my perspective about my wife. And, and I, I told her, look, we are to serve God together as a family. And mm. our children uh, is very much part of what we do. During the refugee crisis, our kids are in the forefront uh, dishing out food to the refugee kids. And refugees and people were telling us, you are not afraid that your kids will get scabies and rabies and uh, well, scabies and all the skin diseases. And I said, no, if God wants us to serve as a family, God is going to protect them. And my daughter, when we got home that night from the refugee camp, my daughter asked that she want to receive Jesus into her heart. And she mm. was old. Mm. What is just coming off of, you know, what I, when I'm hearing you say that it, it just so kingdom, Gabby, is how you, you said, I need to put away my unbiblical culture to live in kingdom culture, which is this beautiful wife of yours. And man, she is so awesome. And your children and really going, I'm a co-heir and a co-laborer with my wife. And, you know, even when you go back to Genesis, this was co-dominionship. They together were called to see the earth flourishing. 
And then the fall came, right? And then that's where things kind of started bringing a fallout where men and women are having this power over struggle that you see so predominant on the earth. But to to listen to you pause and, and say what the Holy Spirit spoke to you and your responsibility to champion your, your wife and your children and your family as a unit is so refreshing. And one of the highlights of my time with you was just sharing that simple meal in your home with your wife and your children, watching your well-loved family and seeing their heart for your family kingdom assignment. And the fact that you take them on the journey, you don't leave behind, leave them behind. They're with you, present, and what God has asked you to do as a family, appropriately, of course. But even the fact that you allowed uh, your daughter to experience something that seemed maybe to others unsafe, but showed her such a picture of what you were doing that she received Jesus. It's just beautiful. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about the value of the male presence in the world, or maybe I would say even the lack of it, you know, how destructive that can be, because you've seen the absence of what fathers do. And maybe you could just share about the importance of fathers in the world. Yeah, um, fathers, male presence in the world is just so important. I had a father who was not around. And when I grew up, by the time I was born, he just came back, um, reunited with my mom. Uh, although he came back, um, he was around, but he was not present. And I will explain that difference later on. But I grew up and hated my father to the point that I tried to kill him several times. Ooh. I, the last time I tried, I, I threw a spear at him and thank God, God protected him. Um, because I think if he had, he was killed that day, I probably wouldn't have forgiven myself. But wow. my story has a good ending mm. uh, because I was able to make things right with my dad. I forgave my dad. Uh, we became really, really good friends to the point that we can talk about the past that I tried to kill him and we would laugh about it. Wow. Um, and he graduated. He, he went on to be with the Lord now. But I, I, I am really happy that I had a, my story has a good ending. Mm -hmm. Stories that did not end well. And I think a lot of people live with a lot of regrets. And again, we may be, uh, there may be many men who have kids, but we have very few fathers. Mm. I think just because a man and you have kids doesn't mean that you're a father. A father is when we can take responsibilities and walk with our kids. Mm -hmm. um, we have many fathers who are around their kids, but are not present in the lives of their kids. You can be around but you're busy with your cell phone or you, you're around in the house, but you, you leave your work and come back and you are not disconnected from your work. Uh, mm. To be present with the kids is to engage with them, play badminton with them, kick some balls with them, uh, you know, do gardening with them. These are the things that our kids grow up and they appreciate. 
not the computer games and all this stuff. They're going to fade away. And tomorrow they're going to crave for another new toy. But the time we spend with our kids, um, they will remember that. Um, the reason I, I want that to my kids is because I never had a father who spent uh, my childhood day, my childhood days was never spent with my dad. Mm. My mom thought I was going to grow up a criminal because I was very, very reckless. Uh, I fought with my teachers in school. I threw rocks at my teachers in school. Um, and, and that was my life. But I thank God that God found me mm-hmm. before it was too late. I, I believe that if I had not accepted Christ, the story with my dad would not be a happy ending. Hmm. But it became a happy ending because God met me before it was too late. Yeah. You were exposed to the father heart of God and he was able to shift your whole perspective. And it's interesting what unfathered people go through. I mean, it's it, it really is. There's a devastating impact to the world when men do not understand, one, their importance of the world, but yet also approaching their responsibility to all the things that you just said. I appreciate the exhortation and the insight and and just the the realness to your story. I mean, it's um, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. You're welcome. Yeah. So you know, you've come alongside um, refugees and broken and exploited women. You've been boots on the ground at natural disasters. And, you know, you really have just listening to you through the time we were together, your stories and kingdom adventures and heartache, but you've experienced a lot of dark horrors in the world, probably more than most. So how important is it for you to carry that father's heart, your re-fathered heart for humanity during all of this chaos and hurt. And how do you reconcile all that in your own soul when you're just on the front end of so much hurt and chaos? Yeah, I had a privilege of working in Sri Lanka during the civil war. Um, and I came across a lot of people who lost their loved ones uh, or widows and I still remember one Sunday when I, after I preached, um, a lady came up, started weeping and said, my, my husband uh, is, a, a, um, is in the Air Force and he got shot by the terrorist. And then I also sat down with people who were on the other side, um, who were classed under terrorists. And I heard of the real stories as well. And they also lost loved ones. Mm. And... Uh, it, it's heart-wrenching. And then as I work alongside with them, then came the tsunami in 2004, where 75,000 people died in Sri Lanka. And I was there when it happened. I've never seen so many dead bodies in my life. Mm. Um, even picking them up and, you know, we dug one grave and you hit 10 bodies into one grave and just cover them. No wow. names, no. And... Um, I Oof. I lost appetite for meat for about a month. Uh, then I, I slowly regained and I started eating meat again. And so many of these families ended up as either single parents trying to support their families. Uh, then 
moving to grace uh, the economic crisis that hit and 12,000 businesses shut down uh, mm-hmm. between 2010 and 12. They've left many homeless people. And then came the refugee crisis. And then I got to know about 40,000 women who are trafficked through Greece uh, to work in the sex industry here and, and other European nations as well. And the needs are just endless. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, just seeing the needs will actually break us up. Um, but few things that I've learned is that I dare to dream to help these people. Uh, dream is cheap, you know, you, it's cheap. You don't have to pay for a dream. You just dream or have a vision. And, and the question is, what can I do to help them? And we start off with what we can and what we have and not what, what we don't have. Mm. Secondly, um, seeing the value in, in these people, um, seeing them as you know, people created in the image and likeness of God, the God's children who are victims of the circumstances, either refugee crisis or political uh, turmoil that caused them to flee their nations or people who were trafficked into into Europe. Um, They were victims of the circumstances. And then we try to help them, at least try to help them. Uh, Let's acknowledge that the need is real instead of pretending that the need doesn't exist. Yeah. And uh, many times we pretend and look the other way because we think that we are incapable of doing something good to these people. Or we turn and look away because we stigmatize these people. And we think that these people are beyond redemption. But that's not how God sees them, that the grace of God is still available. They are still valuable in the the sight of God. And it it matters the most how God sees them and not how we see them or how the community label them. And I think for me, one of my biggest inspiration is the words of uh, Margaret Teresa. If you cannot feed 10 people, just feed one. That is so good. (laughs) It's true of us humans. We just feel compelled to turn our eyes away or label as what makes it easier for us emotionally to tolerate the overwhelm. And you're right in the middle of that. But what I think is remarkable is how you have kept connected to God, your family, to mission, and have fed at times what just felt like the one, even though the need was great. And that's just, there's a lot of nuggets in all of us for us that listen to consider as we walk out our lives and our callings in the worlds that God has put us. So one of the last things I want to talk about with you is this scripture of Proverbs 31, and I'm just going to read a small portion of it, and then I'd like you to speak more into it. But Proverbs 31, oftentimes people read this and think, wow, what a what a male chauvinist just listing all the things that he wants in a wife. 
again, context. If we don't know why something's being read, we can easily make assumptions based on our own woundedness. And that is dangerous. So Proverbs 31, at the beginning, it says the, the, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. I think it's very interesting that a woman actually put these words into her son, who was merely puppeting and reciting what his dear mama had told him about life. Now a king goes on to say, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do you do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings? Goes on to say, king, don't give yourself to strong wine, but be a mouth for the mute and fight for the rights of the destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is such an interesting context when it's often just read as a laundry list for women of what they need to do if they follow the God of the Bible. But when you look at it, there's more to it. It's a mom who is teaching her son what to look like, what to look for, basically describing what it means to be a king. And that is not giving your strength to women, not being filled with strong wine, standing up for those who need to know that they have a voice and don't yet. And so there's something very interesting if we take men and we say, we don't have kings, right? So like kings, let's just say that would be someone with influence, with power, with authority, with the ability to move perspectives. And so if we look at this now, there's a message to the kings of the now, to the men of the now in their role. And in a world right now that's very caught up in male shaming, you know, there's this idea that's been going around and really, truly some of it, you know, there are true pain stories and pain points that needed to be brought out and exposed. But within that, we can't just apply to all men um, their lack of value. You created the problem with the marginalizing of women. You, you know, all of that that's happening, this great sorting of, you know, the future is female. It's this pushing the, the male presence aside because of pain. But when you look at this scripture, there's very distinct calls to men, to brothers, to influencers, to advocate for their women, for women, for sisters, for daughters, for mothers. And there's something really beautiful wrapped in this about the role of men biblically. So, I'd love for you to call men higher and how do they overcome, you know, this blanket of shame, men are the cause of human trafficking, all of this, and rise up instead with this sort of Proverbs 31 mandate. Yeah, I'm reminded of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, after they ate of the forbidden fruit, uh, God came to them uh, that day, and he called out, Adam, where are you? Um, he, he started off calling Adam and not Eve, where are you? Um, and I believe that call is still going out to men today. Uh, where are we? Because God has given us the role to lead our families, uh, to lead changes in the society. 
for so long, we have used our God-given leadership and role for other things. Uh, we have become so good in leading profitable businesses. We have become so skillful in our professions, maybe accountant or directors in companies. Um, can we also become skillful in leading our families? We may not have it all under control. We may not have it all worked out. But the good news is we are capable because God has given us that responsibility, the role of leading our families. Mm. Uh, maybe we have uh, gone astray along the way. Or maybe our kids have hated us for some things that we did. You know, the good news is there is still hope. We just need to, we can humble ourselves and go back and make things right. My dad did. When I told my dad, look, dad, I'm really sorry. I, I tried to hurt you three times. Hmm. And he broke down and he said, you know, son, you're right. I, I am supposed to be the one that apologized to the whole family. And he did. And that evening, man, God's healing hmm. to our family. Wow. And we hugged each other. And I told my dad, I gave you the right to become my father. And hmm. I, I want to become your son. And we hmm. hugged. I mean, I was 18 years old. You know, let's not wait till it's too late. Can, can we also become, you know, get involved in er eradicating human trafficking and become good at it? God is calling hmm. us men to seamlessly take a stand like Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not too late. We are capable of being great fathers. We are capable of being great leaders. We are capable of becoming change makers. Yes. Yes, and amen. So with that, you would encourage men to get involved in all of these areas of meaning practically, maybe even, you know, where most of our listeners are a part of Freedom Challenge. So what would you say directly to the, you know, the women who have men that might even listen to this about getting involved in pushing this agenda forward, pushing their wives forward into the mission? Or as we close out, just anything else you want to share by way of encouragement that's on your heart? Yes, so I am not directly involved uh, in terms of going into the brothels and witnessing to these ladies. And because, um, you know, there is uh, a lot of these women don't trust men anymore because what a lot of men have done to, to them. Uh, but my wife is and my team members are, they're involved. So for me as a man, um, I am involved in making sure that they have resources available. Uh, I, I raise prayer awareness. I talk about what they do. Um, I raise funds so that my workers, uh, uh, I, I don't like to say my workers, but my team members or women mm -hmm. directly could actually have the resources they need. Um, I empower my wife to serve with and alongside these women. Um, I advocate for men um, to stop visiting the brothels or other similar services which commodify women. Uh, pray for those who are involved. Pray for your wife, uh, brothers, if 
they're involved with Freedom Challenge, pray for them. They're in the front line, but they would need encouragement. Encourage and equip, recruit workers to get involved um, in serving these women. Uh, if you're pastors, uh, male pastors, I would encourage you to develop projects in your church that will reach out to this problem. Now, you as a pastor will not get involved, but the women in your church will have a heart to reach other women. But as a, as a pastor, as a male, create a platform where women and other men who could reach out. Now, in one of the ministries we partner with here, uh, there is a group that goes out with men and women. While the women go into the brothels to talk to the women, the brothers stand outside and pray. Mm. Cool. So I think it's an area that we all can get involved in. Gabby, you are a remarkable man. I appreciate your time today and your family. It speaks for your ministry, your family, the work of your hands speaks for what God has done through your humble, focused efforts as a kingdom leader. And I I bless Evie and Angela and Nathan and you and all that God has your hands touching I thank you for it, and I'm looking forward to God willing in 2022 to bringing some women for you to meet and for them to see you and see um, all of this in action. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for joining today. Thank you very much, Tracy. Please pray for us. Uh, today we just had a, a meeting. We're trying to develop a, um, another project, which we hope that we'll be able to um provide employment and training for more women. So we're looking at a farm mm. that we can get. I think I talked to you about it last time when yes. you were here. Yes. So it's in the planning process now, and we hope in the near future, some of you all can come and serve in that ministry as well. Yeah. I look forward to it and just seeing the progress that has happened in spite of all of these world activities and world pandemics continuing to move forward. And Ladies, listeners, everyone who heard, we have our prayer orders for Greece. Uh, pray into coming, pray into all the things that you've heard, and most importantly, pray for the men to rise up, to be advocates, to be friends, to be brothers that um, stand alongside us in this fight. And everyone, thank you for joining Gabby and I today. And until next time, let's do good by helping enslaved women and children. Do more than you ever thought physically possible. Who knows? You might bungee jump with me next year over the Corinth Canal and do it together by connecting with women who have a heart for a hurting world. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. If you liked what you heard, join the fight to set women and children on a pathway to freedom across the globe. We are a proud ministry of Operation Mobilization USA and encourage you to learn more at thefreedomchallenge.com and omusa.org for how you can get involved. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at the FCUSA, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to let us know what you think. We'll see you next time.